It's time for Nashville Sounds Baseball. Franklin Barreto hits a two-run homer. Matt Chapman has done it again with the glove. Garneau lines a base, hits a left. Sounds win. An amazing play by Joey Wendell. It's over. The Sounds have done it. The Nashville Sounds are division champions. What a finish at First Tennessee Park. Welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. On the field, off the field, Rounding Third takes you inside Nashville Sounds baseball. Here's your host, Jeff M. Welcome back to another edition of Rounding Third, the Nashville Sounds podcast. It's Jeff Hem back with you once again. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. To those of you who've listened to our first few and will continue to listen, we greatly appreciate it. Please subscribe and download and give us a rating. All those things that come with podcasts, we appreciate that you do that. It helps us grow the podcast and we will continue to have more and more of these as time goes on. Today we catch up with one of the most interesting 2018 Nashville Sounds, at least in my opinion left-hander Jeremy Bleich there's a lot to cover with Jeremy on this podcast of course this year the first time in his lengthy career he's gotten to the big leagues we will certainly cover that but he's also a guy with great perspective because he's been in professional baseball for a long time he was a first round pick of the Yankees back in the day coming out of Stanford We'll talk about his college days, and he played in the College World Series for Stanford before getting drafted by the Yankees and getting into professional baseball. He's a guy who had some times years ago where he wondered if he should give up the game. He'll cover the lows of the lows and the highs of the highs in this podcast. A great story, a great journey that he's been on. He's also got an interesting family background. His late grandparents were Holocaust survivors and spent time in concentration camps, Auschwitz, among others. So you talk about perspective. This is a guy who's got a lot of history in his family, and he's proud of it, and he's learned from it, he's grown from it, and he'll give us some insight into what was what that was like, learning about his grandparents and what their story was like before they passed on. This was a very fun and interesting conversation to be part of. So let's get to it. Another edition of the Nashville Sounds Rounding Third Podcast. Here is left-handed reliever Jeremy Bleich. Jeremy, thanks for sitting down to uh, let us get to know you a little bit more, sort of off the field and more about your personal background before you got to to 2018 and the Nashville Sounds. I know that you make your home now in the Boston area, but grew up in New Orleans and in the New Orleans area. So what are are some of your earliest baseball memories as a kid? And at what point did you gravitate more to Boston away from New Orleans? Earliest baseball memories, um, we actually, we live right down the street from this open lot kind of in our neighborhood we would always go there and uh kind of play like a pickup game and then uh with my brother and some neighbors and then I remember really like at five years old playing uh at a local playground um you know obviously I I didn't know much about the game at that point but I, I surely enjoyed it when did you know you were pretty good? You ended up going to Stanford. You become a first-round pick. Where in that process are you like, all right, I, I, I don't know why, but I'm just naturally kind of better than most of my peers? I think uh, probably in like the 12 to 13 range, I started to realize like, hey, I throw harder than uh, other people my age or, you know, but I didn't really have control at the time. You know, <laughs> I knew there were things that I was missing. Um, I didn't certainly didn't have any sort of broad perspective about my talent level, but and then you, you go into uh, 
you know, middle school and high school and you start to see, you, know, you hear some rumblings maybe from coaches or uh, in my case, who uh, was very close to my high school coach, he was probably tougher on me than he was on other guys and, you know, came to realize it was because I had talent. So I think right in that range, 12, 13, leading into, you know, the upper levels of middle school and into high school. It's entertaining to me that just about every big city gets this sort of stereotype from people who haven't been to that city very much. People in Vegas will tell you, you know what, I, I didn't go to elementary school in a casino. People in Nashville are like, you know, we don't all wear cowboy boots. So in New Orleans, as you're talking to people who aren't from there, what do they think, what do they joke about versus the reality of what it's like to actually grow up there? Um, it's funny, actually, I was in the clubhouse the other day, I'll leave names out of it, but one of my teammates said to me, uh, I asked him if, it was, if his wife would be joining him um, on our upcoming road trip in New Orleans. And he looked at me like I was crazy, and I waited for the response. And he said to me, "I don't want to be around drunk people all the time." And uh, and and I, and I laughed, and I said, "You know, you know, there's actually really good food there, and a lot of good, rich culture." But I think that's one of those things, you know, that certainly there's, you know, you go to Bourbon, you go to the French Quarter. It's very uh, nightlife oriented at certain times of the day, but yeah. even even at other times as well. But you get out around there. Um, there's a ton of good food, a lot of good culture, a lot of people who you know, grew up there, their parents grew up there, their grandparents grew up there all the way back. And that's why you saw during Katrina, people were very, very reluctant to leave, regardless of the damage they had property wise. So I think that's the coolest part. That's the thing that I probably miss the most. It's just that uh, certainly the food is number one. And secondly, just like that really strong base of culture. As you're that 12 and 13 year old kid who's getting to be pretty good at baseball, and then you get into high school, how did you end up landing at Stanford? Were there a lot of other suitors, and how difficult was that process? Um, I, there were there were a lot of suitors. Um, I went out to a camp at Stanford, which I, I really enjoyed, and my, my parents always kind of told me, which I didn't really understand until I got there, but they always told me, hey, if you get a chance to go to Stanford, you, you go there. <laughs> uh, and I got that chance, and I went there, and, you, you, you know, you realize kind of that the coolest thing for me was everyone there did something spectacularly, whether it was play the piano or, or I had friends uh, who had swam in the Olympics that took a year off from high school. Um, you know, I had friends whose parents were, um, you know, just doing crazy things, you know, that had led their children to, you know, seek interesting, uh, you know, avenues of whatever it may be. I, I happen to play baseball. I, I would like to think that my education was up there as well and helped me, <laughs> helped me play there. But, um, you know, I think that was the coolest thing. I just... Stanford stood out to me. Uh, my parents helped guide me to that direction, and I'm glad they did. You ended up getting drafted as a junior, but from mm -hmm. what I read, went back to get your degree in those next few years after that, an economics degree. And I mean, I always enjoy our conversations. You're just a, a smart guy with some perspective and this sort of level-headedness. So I imagine there was no doubt you were going to, at some point, make sure you finished your degree. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was... Uh there was never any pressure for my parents. I think it, the coolest part about it was uh, I think they kind of trusted in me to get it done, which I think like was really nice. And I don't know if that's a product of me being the third child and kind of <laughs> not having enough worry anymore or, or just having the faith in me, but hopefully a little bit of both. And um, yeah, certainly, I mean, you go three years there, I was ahead. I only needed two quarters to graduate. And um, you know, to be that close and not finish would just didn't make sense. Now that you've had this time in professional baseball, and we'll talk about you getting to the big leagues this year in a moment, but as you look back on the Jeremy Bleich, who's drafted in the first round by the Yankees out of Stanford, you've been in the College World Series at that point. I mean, 
if there's one thing I know about professional athletes, you guys put enough pressure on yourselves, regardless of the outside pressures. What was that like, given all those little things that I just mentioned? As you're going into pro ball, I would think with a lot of expectations for yourself. It was, I mean, it was tough. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, and, and I enjoy doing these podcasts sometimes because they actually give me some good self-reflection. But, you know, you talk about the accolades. You, t- you said Stanford, uh, Yankees first-round pick. There's, a, you know, College World Series. Um, they're all great things, and they all, you know, they're they're a wonderful they were wonderful experiences for me the thing that sometimes gets shaded over is you know there's struggle in there right yeah. there's there's times where you know it doesn't feel as as good you don't feel as as confident or whatever it may be but i think yeah i mean i i first round pick a ton of pressure a lot of it came from myself um and you know i, I did have some struggle i struggled for several years and um i think as i found myself as a person it kind of helped me out on the field one of the great things when guys get to the big leagues is that some of the uh, up there, the, the media coverage brings out more of the kind of what got me here stories. And you had some low points. You've had some injuries. You you admitted that there were moments years ago where you wondered if you should just stop. What what was the lowest of the low before we talk about the highest of the high? Lowest of the low was probably um, 2010 to 2011 time when I uh, had shoulder surgery. Um, I really almost forgot how to throw a baseball legitimately like you know you deal with the physical aspects of that but a whole nother level is the mental aspects right like here you here I am all these expectations people have um, invested in me monetarily and emotionally and people have put their jobs on the line to select me there's all these different things that come in and I felt like at one point I didn't know how to throw a baseball right Um, crazy to think about and crazy to even talk about but it's the truth and I think that was probably one of the lower times um, you know, in my career. When did you feel yourself coming out of that? Uh, gradually over time, looking back, you know, I think uh, I started getting into games again in 12 and 13, 14, all with the Yankees. Uh, 15 was kind of a big year for me uh, as a person. I lost my dad in the offseason of 14, and I think it changed me as a person. Um, I, you know, for lack of a better, like, phrase I just didn't care as much about the game in yeah. terms of I didn't put as much pressure uh, as to whether or how I was going to pitch that night I cared and loved the game I just said like I had a broader perspective because of events that had happened in my life mm-hmm. I and as a result I just was extremely aggressive on the mound uh, you know I, I just said like I'm going to leave everything out here and it, it kind of brought a new um, way out of me pitching wise you know I, I started being very aggressive towards hitters I could see the swings were now on the defensive rather always on the offensive and I just kind of rolled with it I found out you were going to go to the big leagues very briefly before you found out when we were in Iowa uh, and my brain was just like oh man this is going to be a good one I just knew how much you wanted it and I know all of you guys want it so it sounds odd to say that because everybody wants to get to the big leagues but I just knew you would have the appreciation. Take me back to the moment where it was Steve Scarsoni filling mm-hmm. in for Fran Reardon. So Scar and Rick Rodriguez share that news. Did you even? Did you think they were messing with you at first? No, I don't. I don't think. I think they would. I think Scar is. Uh, I knew. I know he's a jokester, but I don't think he would mess with me like yeah. that because uh, of my story. But it's funny. Early on in the day, and I don't think this was planned at all because I asked him, but. He knows that I have a lot of family in New York, and I've been there a lot. So he had asked me if I could, uh, if I um, could write down a list of some places him and his wife are going for an anniversary. If they could, you know, 
some list of restaurants and stuff to do, whatever. So after batting practice came inside and uh, he called me in the office and said, hey, you know that list I was talking about? Uh, I'm going to need you to write that down like right now because you're leaving tomorrow to go to the big leagues. <laughs> um, and it, so it was, it was a crazy moment for me, certainly. Uh, I've never had so many emotions. I think first and foremost, I you know, wish I could have told my dad. That was yeah. kind of a big, big deal. But I called my mom and in a weird way, like acted like I was talking to my parents and, um, you know, told them. And, you know, I think um, it was just like a crazy three or four hours where I just didn't, I was on the phone constantly. I didn't really settle down. And, um, you know, it just kind of went from there. You had, if I'm remembering the timeline, you had that night in mm-hmm. Iowa and then left the next day? Yeah, exactly. I uh, went, I grabbed all my stuff, went to my hotel room um, and kind of tried to settle down for a little bit. Didn't work. And then I finally left my phone in, my, in the hotel room and I just went on a walk. I walked to dinner and had dinner by myself in Iowa, um, Des Moines, Iowa. And I just said to myself, like, all right, I'm just going to take an hour and just go try to, like, catch my breath. So... The next day then, like take me through the different wow moments, whether it's walking in to say hi to Bob Melvin or seeing your jersey hanging there or was it going out on the field? I mean, what was the – it was in San Francisco, yeah. right? What was what, what were a few of the moments where you're just like, this is still just not feeling real to me right now? The craziest part for me was um, <laughs> what, what's, what's really weird is the last profession, last MLB baseball game that I went to with my dad as a fan was at – AT&T Park wow. uh, in college. So that's crazy. And when I got into the Uber, uh, I got a text from the travel secretary up in the big leagues and said, hey, call um, this guy. He's the equipment. He's the clubby in the, in the, on the visiting side. So when I was like two blocks away, I called him and he said to me, hey, when you get to second or third street, whatever it was, he said, take a right you're going to go up and you're going to uh, flip a Yui right after the bridge and pull up right next to McCovey Cove. So that was kind of crazy. So I pull in and the security guards like, like are yelling at the Uber driver, like, you can't park here. Like, get out of here. Get out of I mean, very, very aggressively. And he's like, I got out and I, and I popped the trunk and saw my A's bag and they realized I was a player. And they went from like super aggressive and mean <laughs> to like, I am so sorry, sir. Here, let me grab your bag. So that was, that was cool. And then um, once I went in and you know saw my jersey there and just saw the other guys, uh, it was it was definitely a, a extremely uh, amazing moment. You get thrown right into the fire in that first outing, yeah. bases loaded, nobody out, and and I know you feel like it could have gone differently and you would have liked to have gone differently, but what even today is what's still standing out about that first outing because you would have another one. Um, I think you know ultimately it happened all so quick. I, I yeah. actually got loose in the fourth. Um, which I was the first guy up in the pen, you know, didn't expect that. But I think in a way I, I see it as a good thing, you know, throw me in the fire, see what I'm made of. Um, you know, I had the guy 0-2 and wish I could have kind of focused a little bit more right before that pitch and, you know, either executed that pitch better or missed better or whatever it may be. But you kind of take it, take it as it comes and understand what it's all about. You know, I think I felt very comfortable there. I, I know I can pitch there and, and be successful there, and there's no doubt in my mind. But I think – you know, it's uh, it's the same game. Obviously, um, there's there's other avenues of pressure that that are around the game. But um, you know, I, I felt very comfortable in that moment. Is that the biggest thing when when the unknown of all those years finally becomes a known? It's realizing that your stuff plays there. Yeah, and I think 
I mean, my, my path is weird. You know, it's different than others. Uh, I spent so much time in the minor leagues at the upper levels that I really didn't ever have a doubt that my stuff played. You know, I faced so many guys that played in the big leagues or I played with so many guys that would hey, tell me, hey, man, your stuff, you know, plays. So I, I don't think I ever doubted that. Uh, I was lucky in that sense. But I think, you know, like there's it's human nature. There's pressure. This is the first time there's you know, other stories of surrounding this story. And, you know, as, as, a, as a human, you think about those things. Does it, did it dominate my mind? No, but they're part of your life and they're part of, your, part of, the, part of the moment. Did you keep anything from your first time up there? Um, I got, actually the Giants did a great job. They, they gave me, uh, the uh, Voose got me the ball and the Giants put it in like a, ca- a glass case and kind of put a, a little uh, sticker on it with my name and date and stuff, it was cool. As you're up there and you're trying to focus, I mean, this is what the most fascinating part of it all is to me. You're trying to treat it like you would treat it here in Nashville or whatever ballpark you've been in. But the emotion has to be both a positive and a negative. Like you probably felt some more juice out there because of the energy, but then you're also trying to kind of minimize that to a degree and that can never be easy. No, I mean, I think that's the key, right? Um, It's part of, that's the key to my whole career or really in life in general is you life is not perfect there are things that come and go and you know things are the way they are but it's a matter of like embracing them and admitting that right like you know people say oh just make it the same game it's not the same (laughs) game uh just make it the same treat it like you would in triple a you can't it's not possible right so that's kind of the mindset i take and and took in that moment um you know i think you try to settle down as much as you can. You, you tell yourself, hey, listen, this is different. It's okay to feel the way you're feeling and, and do the best you can do in, in managing those emotions. One of the things I've learned about you is that you're good at um, taking away all of that and really focusing. Like you pride yourselves in, the, in, in those big moments of not uh, treating it like a big moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there's no stat for that. No, there's no stat for that, I think. You know, I see it as like a distraction. So certainly I'm a thinker, and certainly I, uh, I have the tendency to overthink some things. But when in a big moment or in a big crucial pitch or whatever it may be, I embrace those moments and I use it as like a little bit of a cheat, right? It's a distraction for me from what else is going on. If it's a bigger moment, i got to focus more energy on that, that moment, and it distracts me from everything else going on. So that's kind of the way I view it. And, you know, I... Uh, you know, it's hard to do it up there for the first time, um, but uh, but every day I was there, I got a lot more comfortable, and you know it's kind of evident by the you know the work I was able to get in, and um, you know everything changes. It's a, it's a new environment. This game has taken you to a lot of cities. Off the field, do you have some that have become favorites over the years, whether here in the Pacific Coast League or in the International League? And I know that food is usually a source of the answer for guys on this kind of a question. Um, there's a lot of cool cities. Um, Salt Lake's a fun trip. Um, you know, I grew up in New Orleans. Um, you know, it's nice to see family and friends there. Nashville, you know, I, I call it my home base now, but it was always it was a fun trip for us last year mm-hmm. in OKC. Um, you know, any any sort of town where you go and the team is embraced by the community, I think that that's what makes it fun. And you know, Nashville is one of the biggest, you know in that sense you know you see people come out to the games you see the marketing around the city those things are what makes it fun the other fascinating thing to me about you and we could do a whole podcast on this part of it in itself 
is that your grandparents, your late grandparents, George and Yolanda, were Holocaust survivors. They spent time in Auschwitz, among other concentration camps. They were uh, Jews from Czechoslovakia, and there was a great article, I think it was Susan Slusser during spring training, who kind of covered more of your background and, and mentioned some of their uh, involvement while they were still alive in, in telling that story. And I don't even know where to start with this, but what, what does it mean to you to learn more about what your grandparents went through and what uh, <laughs> that awful period was like for so many people? Um, I think, you know, it's, Sometimes I wish I had more information from them. I think, you know, I, I asked as many questions as I could. I'm the youngest of three children, so it was it was kind of young. Uh, my, my grandfather passed away when I was seven, I believe. So I never got to ask him many questions. Mm -hmm. But what I take from the whole thing is that, try to take like a grand, you know, a grand view of it is like, my, they sacrificed for me, right? For my parents, for my dad, and, and therefore for me. And I think, there's certainly something to be said of, of um, you know, personality traits and genetic adaptations that kind of are passed down. Like I'm a, I'm a very aggressive person in the moment. My dad was even more aggressive. And I think that's part of like the whole survival thing. Yeah. Um, you know, my grandmother was quiet. She didn't talk uh, a ton. She didn't show a ton of emotion. I'm sure there's, there's something to be said for that with her, you know, path. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, Part of it is just understanding and appreciating and using it for perspective. Like, you know, there are bigger things in this world than baseball and yeah. you take you take what you can from it. I, I took that, hey, the, the, you know, the, the fight in me comes from understanding, you know, or, or seeing my dad the way he was protecting his parents. And it's kind of how I live my life. It's, it's crazy to think, too, that as time goes on, just because of the age of that generation, there are few and fewer... Yeah. Uh, survivors that are still with us it's just and so the stories become more important absolutely that's it's frightening to me I mean even uh, you look around there are people out there that say it never happened and you know come up with these stories so you know am I gonna ever confront someone no it's 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 not worth my time it's that stuff is, is nonsense but at the same time you 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 cherish um, you cherish the stories. They're actually, Steven Spielberg uh, made a documentary uh, with a bunch of Holocaust survivors that my grandmother was in. Uh, so we have tapes of that. We have, you know, different things, you know, stories from from her and from my grandfather. And you just try to hold on to those things and, you know, teach and try to, you know, understand our history. To bring it back to baseball for a final moment here, what is plain and simple your favorite part of? what is your job or this career like what is the, the those little moments whether it's you know striking a guy out or something that's more off the field what is what brings you the most joy out of what you do um it's gonna sound weird but kind of separating um like life and baseball really being able to be a professional uh about my job right it's easy when when you're doing well and having success and it's not easy when you're not doing well it's not easy to not take it home with you to not think about it the next day but uh, I think when things are going well you know getting your work in understanding what's 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 making you successful what's contributing to your success doing the right mental work to keep you successful and when things are not going well um, figuring out if it's just hey a blip on the radar or there needs needs to be some sort of adjustments made and deciphering between those things and and once you can figure those things out 
um, helping others around you who may be going through that same thing. You know, obviously I'm older on the team. I've been through a lot. Uh, some guys are receptive to me. Some other guys aren't, you know, but you, you try to, you know, help those who are going through something you have may have been you have you may have been through in the past. I think that to me is the most fulfilling part of the of, of the job. Good stuff as always, man. I appreciate your time on uh, in doing this. Thanks so much for having me. Sounds left-hander Jeremy Bleich. This is Jeff M. Thank you so much for joining us on another edition of Rounding Third. Thank you for listening to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. For more information about Sounds Baseball and this podcast, visit nashvillesounds.com slash podcast. Oh,